Please take your Bibles and turn with me this evening again to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll not be necessarily spending our time here this evening. Um, Today's message has been, I suppose we could call it a little bit topical. Not a place that, as you know, I'm, I'm necessarily all that comfortable preaching, but I'm getting more comfortable with it because lately there's been a lot more of these. However... We're talking about a very important topic this evening, the same topic we were speaking of this morning and that of spiritual gifts. As 1 Corinthians 12 speaks to this topic, speaks to the reality that there are gifts that are given specifically to believers for use in the body of Christ. We've said many things thus far, one of those being that if if you're not using your gift, then you are depriving the body of Christ of something very necessary. If you are not in the body of Christ, if you're not serving in a body of believers, if you're not busy working with a body, well then you're you're depriving the body of something very necessary. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. My first year here, uh, I've been here for three years uh, as of August 1st, so Friday was my third year anniversary of being a Minnesotan. And my wife and I, I graduated from seminary July 28th. By August 1st, I was up here. By uh, August 2nd was a Sunday. So uh, basically, got here Saturday, pastored my first church service on Sunday. It's pretty well being thrown into the fire. Well, one of the first things we did as a church, um, Mike Grismore had been without a job for some time. Uh, Troy had been without steady work for some time. And so one of the first things uh, we did is we had an all-night prayer session for the men. We stayed up and we, we literally prayed for about seven hours. And um, that evening before the prayer meeting, I went to pick up uh, Tim from the cities, Tim Zakes, and I picked him up and I was going to go pick Brady up and we were going to go play basketball for a couple hours before... For the, before this all-night prayer meeting. Well, we ended up staying at, at the Grismore's house and playing with all the kids there and just playing basketball for a couple of hours before the prayer meeting, which was at our house here in Buffalo. Um, and we're playing, and the Grismore's yard, they had their, their driveway, and they had their basketball hoop set back a little bit from the driveway but there was a step up from their driveway to the grass. And so we were playing a a game of knockout. I think they called it something else up here. I'd never heard of the name before. But we were playing a game, and uh, Brady and I were the last two, and we had to knock each other out. And we're playing, and we're playing hard, and, and I go to make the layup to win, and I land, and my ankle rolls really badly, like pop. Like not just a, oh, ow, but a pop. Well, I won, by the way beat Brady, and uh, just for the record, I won, but I was out of commission. I said, I got to sit down for a few minutes, and I I figured, okay, I roll my ankle. Well, it's just getting worse, and worse, and worse, and swelling like crazy. We have our all-night prayer meeting. It's probably the most uncomfortable seven hours of my life. I had to get a cane. I needed crutches. I didn't get crutches, but um, it was a bad, bad sprain. 
I was out of commission for some time, and I, I remember this as one of the couple of times in my life where a body part was not functioning properly to the extent that I could not function properly. I know Nelson has had this happen in his life. A body part not functioning to the extent that you cannot function. Many of us have felt such experiences where we are in a place where the body as a whole cannot function properly because one part of the body has been injured or is missing. That's the seriousness with which we need to approach mentally this concept of spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift. You are a member of the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, as we preached on it the last time, uh, two weeks ago, last time I was in 1 Corinthians 12 and I exposited it, we talked about Paul's analogy that the eye can't say to the foot, I don't have need of you, and that the ear can't say to, to the mouth, I have no need of you, and, and these body parts can't say to one another, I don't need you. Nor can one body part say, well, because I'm not a different body part, I'm not a part of the body. But if we were all missing our feet, we'd notice, wouldn't we? If we were missing our elbows, we'd realize something was wrong. It would change our lives entirely. When a body part is there but not functioning properly, it's not just that one body part living in a vacuum that knows about it, right? When my ankle was messed up, my leg had problems, my back had problems, not necessarily uh, inherently pain, but the whole body was hobbled. The whole body was hobbled by that one body part being out of commission. If you don't know and are not exercising your spiritual gift in the body, then there's a part of this body that's hobbled. We're limping a little bit. Maybe we're only seeing with one eye. Maybe we're not hearing as well as we should be hearing. Maybe we're trying to do everything without thumbs. That is the importance as we consider the spiritual gifts that you are willing to prayerfully patiently understand where you fit into the body of Christ and then willingly and humbly submit yourself to God's will for you in the body. There's really no exception that Paul gives. We talked about it this morning in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Every single man has been given, every single believer... That's the context there. Every single believer has been given a gift to profit with all the body. And so this is the second part. We talked this morning about some foundational issues uh, with regard to identifying our gift. Then we spoke of the gifts themselves. We listed each of the gifts, what those gifts are, and which ones we do not believe are valid anymore for this age. That would particularly be the sign gifts as well as the gift of the apostolic ministry. We talked three weeks ago about why that is. I remind you, if you did not hear that message or if you need a refresher course, that message is online at LegacyBaptistChurch.net. Go there and listen to that sermon if you are confused or, or um, not sure about 
why it is we believe the sign gifts are no longer valid for this time. And so, as I mentioned this morning, we are going to be operating all of these weeks with the understanding, including chapters 13 and 14, with the understanding that the sign gifts are not for this age of the church. And so let's begin walking through each of these gifts. And the point this evening is for you to begin to think, to begin to identify the gifts that God has given you. The spiritual gift, not the talents, not the abilities, not the personality traits, but the spiritual gift that the Lord has given to you for use in the body. I remind you, this is not something just to be, okay, this is the one I like best. We're not choosing a gift. We're identifying what has already been given to us. Likewise, I remind you that this is not something that's just, well, I think this one, I'm just going to go with that. It's something that is going to take time. As you serve, as you live out your Christian life, you will identify the burdens, the directions that the Lord is tugging your heart the places where you find yourself most effective in the body. And the Lord will direct you to the place that He would have you. So we begin in the Romans chapter 6 passage, if you would like to turn there with me. We'll be in there for some time as there are... Excuse me, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 6 through 8. We'll be there for some time as uh, there are several gifts listed here. And each of these gifts, uh, we would say are still valid. None of these are the sign gifts. And the first gift that we see in Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8 is the gift of prophecy. The prophet in scripture was the man through whom the future was told, but only as a small component of his much larger goal. His goal was to inform, to convince, and to convict, and to call God's people back to obedience to what God had already revealed in the Scriptures. His revealed Word. His revealed declarations. God had already spoken to Israel in the Old Testament, and the prophet's job was to remind the people of what God had said. Go throughout the prophets... Go throughout the characteristics of the prophets, throughout their ministries, and what you will find is that the prophet used signs, wonders, and foretelling the future as a means by which to validate his message. It was not exclusively his message. So the prophet's ministry, there was a time where he would foretell the future. There was a time where the Lord would offer hope to Israel through it. But primarily, his future prophecies, as well as his signs and wonders, were intended to show the people that he was indeed a prophet of God. They were marks of the prophet that assured the people that he was speaking in the name of the Lord and that he was a valid prophet. Well, in much the same way, God has spoken to his church, hasn't he? But we do a terrible job at obeying what God has given us. The ministry and the burden of the prophet is to call God's church unto obedience to the revealed Word of God. Now, this man does not do miracles, healings in this age. That would not be the function of 
the prophet. The prophet in the New Testament is the same function as the prophet in the Old Testament. To foretell, to remind people of the Word of God, to call people unto repentance. He doesn't need to validate his message with signs and wonders. He doesn't need to validate his message with prophecy. Why? Because the message has already been validated. The message has been given to us, written down, and validated the day Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So he doesn't need to validate his ministry, as it were. When the Lord lays the burden upon a man of God to call God's people back, to to expound upon the Word of God and to call God's people to obey it, he has that burden, that fire that we might say is shut up in his bones, as Jeremiah described, compelled by the Spirit of God to speak up in the church about the sin of the church and to compel them unto righteousness. He's doing the same job that the prophet of the Old Testament did. The difference is, he doesn't need to validate his message with signs and wonders and miracles and, and prophecies of foretelling because all people have to do to validate the message is to go back to the Word of God and say, yep, it's right here. Yep, this is what God has said. Yep, it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. He has all authority. He has all power. Second Timothy 3 tells me all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yes, this prophet is of God. Is that not the qualification of the spirits that we are to try as given in 1 John chapter 4? Beloved, believe not every spirit of God, but try the spirits whether they are... Believe not every spirit, excuse me, but try the spirits whether they are of God. He said, because many false prophets have gone into the world. And then he gives the qualification that if any man says that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, he is of God. If any man says that he has not come, he is not of God. And so... John 3 gives the same validation. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. John 3, 22-36. That the person that has accepted the testimony of Jesus Christ sets to his seal that God is true. In other words, if you believe the Word of God, then you have accepted the testimony of Jesus Christ. You have believed the Word of God incarnate. And the Word of God as written. And so, there still is, as we see presented in Romans, and it's reiterated again in 1 Corinthians, this prophetic spiritual gift. And Romans chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that if you have the gift of prophecy, that you should prophesy, it says, according to the proportion of faith. To the degree that you are willing to take God at His word and to call God's people to do the same, do it. Romans chapter 6, the first ministry, first spiritual gift is prophecy. In verse 7, Romans 12 verse 6, I'm sorry, I'm uh, tangling my words a little bit this evening. In verse 7 of Romans chapter 12, we see the second spiritual gift mentioned. And this is ministry. Notice he says, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. The spiritual gift of ministry, as a concise definition, are those who perform tasks in the church with the intent of removing these responsibilities from church leaders. Those who perform tasks in the church with the intent 
of removing these responsibilities from the church leaders. The word minister here in Romans chapter 12, verse 7, in the King James Bible is the word that is often translated deacon. It's the same word, diakonos, that is oftentimes thus translated deacon. It describes a servant, literally translated a waiter of tables. And in the church, the deacon was a man, as we understand the scriptures, who was dedicated to performing any task necessary so that the teachers and the preachers, and at that time the apostles, could devote their time to the ministry of the Word of God and to prayer. And so Paul shows us here, as he's speaking of the gifts that are given by grace in the church, that one of those gifts that's given is the gift of ministry, the gift of being a servant to the servants, the gift of coming alongside those who are leading the church, those who are teaching in the church, and to be their right-hand man, to do what they don't have time to do, to take that things off their plate that they just plain can't, or, uh, can't do or that are pulling them away from their calling to teach and to preach and to pray. This is the man or woman who simply loves to serve, whatever the task, regardless of how menial. As a spiritual gift, the Spirit of God lays it upon these believers' hearts to pick up the slack, to find and to perform tasks, to ask where they can be used and serve behind the scenes with cheerfulness and contentment. Thus is the ministry of the minister. (laughs) The one who has the spiritual gift of ministry, that deacon mentality, the waiter of tables, the server of the servants. So, we've gotten through two. We're identifying the characteristics of them something starting to maybe ring a bell in your heart. There's still quite a few left. Something that you are identifying with. You say, I might be that. I might be there. Let's continue. Our third characteristic in verse 7, or he that teacheth on teaching. As a concise definition, I give the teacher as this. One whose burden is to inform God's people concerning the content of God's Word for the purpose of spiritual growth and discipleship. One whose burden is to inform God's people concerning the content of God's Word for the purpose of spiritual growth and discipleship. Whereas we spoke of the prophet as a man who is compelled to remind God's people of the spoken Word of God, the teacher is compelled to deeply inform the people concerning the content of God's Word. The teacher is the one who deeply desires Christian discipleship, desires God's people to have a good grasp on God's Word so that they have the tools necessary to live out what they know in obedience. If we could say it this way, the prophet is reminding the people of what they already know. The teacher desires to inform people of perhaps what they don't know. The believer who has the spiritual gift of teaching will have a deep burden for the church that they would have the knowledge necessary to make informed decisions based upon their understanding of God's Word and God's will. That's the teacher. And I remind you, 
please don't get upset if as I summarize one of these gifts, you say, I think there might be more to that, Pastor. Because what I'm doing is I'm taking the culmination of what we see as the teaching and the prophecy and the, the deacon ministries in the New Testament and I'm trying to give you something concise. I mention again, as I mentioned this morning, Paul never teaches on the spiritual gifts. He tells us what they are, but he doesn't tell us. He doesn't elaborate on them. And we talked about that and why this morning. The next gift, Romans chapter 12, verse 8, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. The next gift is exhortation in verse 8. This word used in Romans chapter 3, verse, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 8, is a word that literally means to entreat, to console, to encourage, to comfort. To come alongside. This is the believer who is interested in people support. I was talking to a young man not long ago studying for ministry. And he said that his burden and love is not really when he's behind the pulpit. His burden and his love is when he's interacting with the people. Perhaps this is a young man who has the spiritual gift of exhortation. A person who desires to comfort and to encourage. They are those essential believers who keep everyone's heads up. Help them through the hard times. Guide people through confusion and discouragement. They are the ones who are deeply compelled by the Spirit of God to lift the hearts of God's people. Maybe it's a musician who encourages in song. Maybe it's a person who sends notes of kindness, who gives a phone call and says, Hey, you weren't in church last week. I missed you. Is there something wrong? Can I help you with anything? Maybe it's the person that always has candy in his pocket for the kids in the church. Regardless, this believer is compelled by the Spirit of God to lift the hearts of God's people. To lift the hearts of God's people. This is the exhorter. And it is listed in Romans chapter 12 as a spiritual gift. I know we have at least one exhorter that regularly attends our services. I thank God for those in the church who have been given this gift, the gift to encourage others, the gift to lift us up, because we all need that, don't we? The gift of exhortation. The next gift, as we see in verse 8, He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. The gift of giving. This is one who gives of what he has to meet the needs of God's people. The giver is the believer who is burdened by the Spirit of God, as we would expect, to give. Maybe this is to give financially to the needs of church and believers. Maybe this is to give a great deal of his time. Maybe this is to give of his possessions. This believer wants to give. This believer loves to give. This believer is driven by the Spirit of God with a sincere desire to provide for the needs of others. Doesn't the church need those? Those that are willing to give of what they have to the needs of others? Those are, who are willing to yield what is theirs, knowing that it is only temporal, to bless on an eternal scale, to bless in an eternal way. The spiritual gift of giving. The next one in this passage, He that ruleth, with diligence. 
the one with the spiritual gift of ruling is one who is willing and able to organize, to lead, to direct, and to enable God's people to do the work of God. One who is willing and able to organize, lead, direct, and enable God's people to do the work of God. The ruler is a leader. He's a man with vision, care, diligence, and respect. He's the man who's compelled by the Spirit of God to step up and to step in, to bear responsibilities, to direct God's people to make the hard decisions, to make the easy decisions. God lays it upon this believer's heart to help administrate the church, to help lead the church, to help guide the church's vision, to be a part of the process of leading the church in the way that it should go, to ensure the church remains in the way that it should go. He is a man with a heart to lead, but it also would seem in various places that he's also a man that other believers are willing to follow and to trust. That as God gives this man the gift of ruling, He gives others the willingness and desire to follow Him. The spiritual gift of ruling. Continuing, the final gift in Romans chapter 12, He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The spiritual gift of mercy is the man or woman who is particularly concerned with the needs of the suffering and hurting. Specifically within the church. Concerned with the needs of the suffering and hurting within the church. I say within the church because recall this is a spiritual gift that is meant to profit the body. And so it is indeed specifically for the body. However, as I say that, it is quite true that the body sometimes needs compulsion to meet the needs of others those outside the body. And I'm sure these mercies quite possibly might also have that compassion and that desire to meet the needs of those outside the body and compel the church to meet those needs. The merciful believer is the one who is burdened for those in need. They are, we might say, the heart of the church. If we're breaking people up into body parts, I haven't done that uh, entirely. I haven't done that with each one. But this would be the heart. This would be the compassion. This would be the one who relates to those who are suffering and hurting. Perhaps the one that is sensitive to the outcast, to those who are in great need, to those who are emotionally distressed. This believer is compelled by the Spirit of God with a desire toward people's needs. They're merciful. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Please, Follow me over to 1 Corinthians 12 as we continue walking through these gifts. The passage in question is verses 8 through 10, excuse me, 8 through 11. Verse 8 says, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. The next spiritual gift mentioned is that of wisdom. And I will. Summarize the gift this way. One who is able to translate biblical truth into spiritually relevant and practical application. 
one who is able to translate biblical truth into spiritually relevant and practical application. It's very difficult to pinpoint wisdom in the Bible. Wisdom is such a broad topic and has so many different variants. We uh, are starting uh, every once in a while we'll, on Tuesday nights. We, we are, we're, we've been hitting Proverbs lately. And as we consider Proverbs and, and Solomon exhorting the, those who would read unto wisdom, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That the wise man will hear and will understand and will increase in knowledge. And so, wisdom is not simply knowledge, but wisdom oftentimes, as we might describe it, is applied knowledge. The concept of wisdom, applied knowledge, one who is able to take the words of Scripture and direct others into how they can best apply these words to their own lives. These believers make the spiritual truths of God's Word relevant and practical, allowing for proper decision-making in life situations. You've known these people, right? They take the Word of God and without pulling it out of context or warping it, they have this uncanny ability to connect it to your life. And you walk out saying, wow, that's relevant. That makes sense. And they didn't confuse the Scriptures or warp the Scriptures. They simply made the Scriptures relevant. They have the wisdom to take what they see in Scriptures and to translate it into application. They're gifted by the Spirit of God with practical understanding for the church. And the church needs that. We need to know how to translate that which we read in a knowledge sense to that which we live in an applied sense. That's wisdom. The next gift mentioned is the gift of knowledge. Verse 8, To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. I define the man or the woman with the gift of knowledge as one who studies and learns in order to give himself and others a deeper understanding of spiritual concepts. A one who studies and learns in order to give himself and others a deeper understanding of spiritual concepts. There's little doubt that there are those in the church who have a particular ability to put things together in the Bible. They know the cross-references. They know the implications. They have studied the context and the backgrounds. These believers are compelled by the Spirit of God to put the pieces together and to present them to the church in a clear and coherent way for the edification of the body. I do a um, Bible study over the computer, over the internet on Saturday mornings. And it's neat to see quite often a particular person in the Bible study as I'm talking about a passage and, and uh, I'm kind of, it uh, wasn't necessarily supposed to be this way, but I'm kind of the teacher. Uh, we, we all came together on the same plane, but I've kind of become the teacher because that's my spiritual gift. And so I've become the teacher, but then there's someone else who's always popping up with cross-references. Oh yeah, and then this, and then this, and then that. Well, well, because he's been given this gift of putting all those pieces together to some degree or another. They're compelled by the Spirit of God to put the pieces together, to present them to the church. That's the gift of knowledge. Notice the next. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, faith. One who is strongly persuaded to believe and act upon the promises presented in God's Word. One who is strongly persuaded to believe and act upon the promises presented in God's Word. Let me stop here for just a moment before we jump into faith. 
can you see how though we might have one particular gift that bubbles up to the top, we're not exempting ourselves from the others. We're not exempting ourselves from exercising faith because we have the gift of teaching or because we have the gift of giving. We're not exempting ourselves from giving because we have the gift of faith. We are required and expected by God to exercise all of these elements of the Spirit. But there is a person who is gifted with that particular element for the benefit of the church. There's a difference between living your life for Christ as an individual and then being a part of a functioning body to the glory of God. You as an individual need to give, need to exercise faith, need to be able to teach your children or those that you might come in contact with, need to evangelize the lost. These are all personal expectations. But then as a member of the body, God has particularly gifted you above the others in a way that you are comfortable, in a way that you are burdened to advance the church, to be a part of the church. I remind you of that as we continue. Faith. One who is strongly persuaded to believe and act upon the promises presented in God's Word. The believer that has been highly persuaded of God's power and promises and he acts in uncompromising faith. He is uncompromisingly willing to act upon what he knows and is persuaded of concerning the promises of God. The typical fears and obstacles and concerns of believers as touching the work of God in this world does not seem to shake those that have this particular faith. Whereas another in the church might think of some ministry and say, no, there's no way we could ever do that. That man of faith says, no, let's do it. God will bless. And that will rally the church around this one who has the faith to see them to do it. If we'll just trust God. The gift of faith. They know what God has said. They believe what God has said. And they act upon what God has said. The Spirit of God strongly testifies to these believers of the truth of God and actions are taken based upon their persuasion. The gift of faith. The next, in verse 9, to another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. We talked about that. That is a sign gift, one that we believe has passed away. Again, listen to my message, my first message on 1 Corinthians 12, if you need to know about that. Again, uh, in verse 10, working of miracles. Prophecy, we've already spoken of that one. Then in the middle of verse 10 there, you see to another discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. This is the believer who is able to carefully separate truth from error to guard the purity of the church. The man or the woman who is able to carefully separate truth from error to guard the purity of the church. The discerner of spirits is a believer who has been gifted with discernment, right? They distinguish between divine truth, satanic lies, human error, and human deceit in order to help the church stay on the right track. The Holy Spirit of God enables these men to discern in ways that the typical believer, for whatever reason, might not be able to. Maybe it's just not their particular burden. There are apologetics ministries that are dedicated to discernment. Their burden, their 
love, their ministry to the church, is to read all of the articles, watch all of the movies, listen to all of the preachers, to tell you who's on the right track and who's not. Your pastor regularly warns you about certain speakers, about certain books, about certain movies. But you know, your pastor didn't necessarily have time to do, it all, do all that research himself. I go to men who I know have the gift of discernment, who have dedicated their lives to discerning between truth and error, who I trust and who I have found to be valued and relevant and, um, and proper in their assessments, and I listen to them. They've read the book. They pull out the troubling pieces. They present them to me so that I can present them to you. Your pastor has discernment by proxy of men with the spiritual gift of discernment. Men who are serving the church of God by dedicating themselves to discernment. There may be some in this body as well who have that gift. And one day pastor gets up and makes a reference and they come up and they say, Pastor, I just want to let you know a little something about that guy you, you referenced. I just want you to know that this, this guy is, is off here and here and here and it may not be something that you want to publicly mention anymore. The gift of discernment. That is the last gift in our 1 Corinthians 12 passage that we'll speak of. There are two more gifts mentioned. Diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Again, we've referenced those as sign gifts that are no longer valid. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to one more passage. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of a few more gifts that the Lord has given to the church, to men in the church. The first one he says, and he gave some apostles. We've talked about apostolic ministry before. We recognize that the apostolic ministry, it was a ministry for the early church, just as the sign gifts, and is no longer valid. But the other three are. Prophets, we spoke of that one already. Evangelists and then the pastor and teacher. So we'll speak of the evangelist, and then we'll speak of the pastor-teacher. The evangelist. This is the believer who has a strong sensibility toward lost souls and a heavy burden to win them to Christ. We all know that every one of us has a duty to share the gospel. Every one of us has a duty to seek lost souls. But have you noticed certain people with a particular capacity toward that end? that just have a fire to do it, have the, the creativity and the understanding to breach into conversations, have the clarity to connect all the dots with people, have the zeal. Quite possibly they have the gift of evangelism. Men and women with a particular sensibility toward the lost and with a heavy desire to reach them with the gospel of Christ. The Spirit of God has given them this heavy burden and equipped them to be effective at this task. I've always been very I, I want to choose my word carefully here. I, want to, I, I don't want to say I've been jealous or envious, but I've always 
really looked at the people that have the ability to just step into conversations and talk with people and um, breach spiritual topics and bring them along to the gospel, I've admired them. What a, what a tremendous gift that is to have that ability and then on top of that to feel such a tremendous burden and compulsion to win the lost. We all ought to have a desire to win the lost and we all ought to be capable of sharing it. But there are those who are particularly gifted in this realm. And then finally, the gift of the pastor-teacher. We've already spoken of the teacher. Now, a pastor is a word that literally means shepherd. I told you this morning, I believe the pastor-teacher here in Ephesians chapter 4, according to the Greek, and even as it's reflected in our King James Bible, is one gift. The pastor-teacher. The one who can shepherd, guide, teach, direct the flock in the Word of God. Now, after having spoken of each of these gifts and looking at them in turn, perhaps you look and you say, yeah, I think I might be in this particular realm, Pastor. Or I I, I just don't know yet, Pastor. Well, I remind you of my testimony of my gift this morning. I didn't know I had the gift of teaching until until I started having to do it. It was interesting... Two weeks ago, I gave a testimony briefly before the service that I had read my notes from when I went to China, my personal journal. I didn't even remember I'd done a personal journal. And I came across it about two weeks ago and was reading through it. This was after I knew I had been called to full-time ministry, but I didn't quite know where God wanted me yet. And I was stuck teaching an English grammar class in China for six weeks. And what I found while I was there, as I taught this class and I wrote this in my journal, is wow, I really love teaching. It is something that I've never realized exactly how much I love it. I need to pray about this as I head home. And I was beginning to recognize my gift more and more. So maybe you have gifts. Maybe those gifts are manifest things that you do, directions that you've gone in already, it's quite obvious that the Spirit of God is is directing you in a way. Maybe you haven't come across it yet and you need to start getting busy trying things out. Going door knocking with pastor on a Thursday night to see if you have the gift of evangelism. Saving up a little money and giving it to someone to see if you have the gift of giving. Seeking out to be compassionate to see if that's where the Lord can really use you to exhort, to teach. Two applications as we close this evening. Application number one. Your spiritual gift is a responsibility, not a suggestion. Your spiritual gift is a responsibility, not a suggestion. When Paul was writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he said this, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given to thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. 
Peter commanded to the Gentiles scattered throughout the Roman Empire in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see, you knowing and exercising your spiritual gift is not about you just being super spiritual. We talked about that this morning. It's not about you having an inside track. It's about you being a good steward of your salvation. You have been saved and you were saved for a purpose. You weren't just saved to sit on the couch and eat potato chips. That is not why God redeemed you from your sins. And if the whole purpose of God's redemption was simply for you to accept Christ, then He would have raptured you the moment you accepted Christ. But He didn't. And the reason why He didn't is because you have a purpose for staying here as a Christian. And it is simply a matter of good stewardship that you would understand your purpose. And that you would integrate yourself into the local body of believers so that you can be busy about the work that God has called you to do. The proper use of your spiritual gift is about doing what God wants you to do and being what God wants you to be for the benefit of the body of Christ. So your spiritual gift is a responsibility. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just, eh, I don't know. Eh, I could take it or leave it. It's a responsibility that you have to discern it so that you can be what God wants you to be in the church. Number two. Your, knowing your spiritual gift is of inestimable benefit to your spiritual responsibility. I mentioned at the beginning of our time together that knowing your spiritual gift is not necessarily essential. I said that this morning. That there are many who are exercising their spiritual gift even though they haven't really pinpointed it. And as long as you're exercising your spiritual gift, you're doing what God needs you to do in the body. Whether or not I ever actually pinpointed the fact that teaching was my spiritual gift, if I'm teaching, I'm doing what God wants me to do. However, the fact that I know it's my spiritual gift gives me a great benefit. I have the gift of teaching. And I told you when I went to China several years ago, I pinpointed this gift. Because of pinpointing that gift, I was able to develop it. I was able to seek out ministries that would enable me to use it. I was able to be purposed and intentional and effective with my gift. In a way that maybe I wouldn't have if I didn't pinpoint it. If I was just kind of floating around serving in whatever capacity I could. Now you can be of use to the church. Many of you are. But if you pinpoint your gift, you might very well be able to be of, of, of significantly more use to the church. And I leave you with one more thought this evening. And it's a question. How do you know what your spiritual gift is? Okay, Pastor, you've told us what the spiritual gifts are. You've given us some idea of some of the character traits that might be exhibited. We spoke this morning about the fact that um, these spiritual gifts uh, can intersect with our talents and our abilities. But pastor, give me a little bit more. Help me direct. You might want to write these down if you're taking notes. 
How do you know what your spiritual gift is? Well, you will be drawn to that particular spiritual gift. You will be drawn to it. You will show interest in it. Number two, you will experience success in the exercising of that spiritual gift. You will have the Spirit's help and therefore find spiritual success. And number three, others will see that gift in you. Others will see that gift in you. So you'll be drawn to that gift. You'll experience success as you exercise that gift. And others will see that gift in you. So as you're going through your days and your weeks and your months and your years as a believer in Jesus Christ, try things out. Serve. Find new places to serve. Look for that particular area that you are drawn to where your heart is burdened for. The hole that you see in the church and you just look at it every week and you say, why doesn't pastor see that? There's such a need here. Why doesn't pastor see that need? Well, maybe it's because you're the one with the spiritual gift so you're the one that sees the need. And when you see it, Maybe try to plug it. And as you plug it, see if it works. See if you find success. Keep serving. And then you know what? Maybe one day pastor will come up to you and say, hey, so-and-so, I've noticed that you have a real gift here. That this is something that, that really works for you in the church. Or your parent. Or your spouse. Or your sibling will come up and say, wow, you really have something here. This, this, is, this is your cup of tea. This is, this is for you. This is your place. And you can say, yeah, I think this is my place. And now that you know what your place is, you can throw both feet in. You can dive in head first. You can dig in with all your might. And you can further the gospel of Jesus Christ through the church, to the glory of God. Let's pray together.